Good morning, everyone. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, I am Pastor Caleb. I'm excited that we can worship here together at Trinity. If you are joining us online, I welcome you uh, this morning. You know, and uh, I want to say a special welcome to the people here today and watching online who woke up this morning and weren't feeling it. You know, sometimes, especially on rainy days like this, you look out the window and your bed is warm and you say, do I really want to go to church today? And if you have made the decision to not be overcome with uh, those feelings of wanting to stay warm and wanting to uh, stay comfortable and not feeling like showing up, but showing up anyway, uh, I want to encourage you because I can say from personal experience, many of the times when God has spoken to me most powerfully uh, during worship have been on days when I wasn't feeling it, on days when I didn't want to be here, on days when it just would have been easier to cuddle up with my bowl of cinnamon toast crunch and watch YouTube videos with disheveled hair in my pajamas. So I thank you for being a part of our worship experience today. I am convinced that we are going to encounter God together, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and empowered to live lives that bear witness to the goodness of God. And sometimes... When, uh, when we have the opportunity to live lives that bear witness to the goodness of God, it won't be when things are good. Uh, one of the things that is absolutely true is that we will all face hardship in our lives. And I'm not just talking about, you know, stubbing your toe or getting caught in traffic. I am talking real deal hardship. All of us at some point we'll have to watch someone who we love die. All of us, at some point in our lives, will have someone who we have trusted let us down and disappoint us, if not outright uh, abandon us. And how we respond in those moments, when it feels like we're all alone, how we respond in those moments when it feels like the world is against us, how we respond in those moments when we hurt the very most is going to go a long way to shaping how we live in the world around us. Today we're going to be talking about how Jesus responded uh, in a moment like this from the Gospel according to Luke. So if you are here today and you're not feeling it, or if you're watching from home and you're not feeling it, and you were thinking, oh, maybe I'll just give church a try, but then I'm going to cuddle up with my cinnamon toast crunch and you know watch squirrels water skiing videos or whatever i encourage you stick around because today we are uh, going to take a deep dive on the life of jesus and see what it looks like to live um, faithfully what it looks like to grow spiritually when times are hard when we are hurting when we just aren't feeling it our first scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 22. And beginning at verse 39, Luke writes, that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, 
knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to his disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, I think sometimes we have this belief that our spiritual lives should always feel good. When we pray, we should always feel the presence of God. When we read Scripture, it should always be encouraging to us. When we go to church, we should always feel happy and rejuvenated and refilled. But there's a danger in that. And it's a danger that Christians have known for centuries. And the danger is that if we aren't careful, if this is our assumption about what the Christian life is like, we will put our trust in our feelings about God rather than in God. St. John of the Cross 500 years ago, wrote about the dark night of the soul, this opportunity that God gives us to learn to, instead of putting our trust in what we feel, to instead put our trust in God. And what this means is that there will be times when we don't feel good as Christians. Where we pray and it feels like we're talking to the wall. But the example of Jesus is that when this happens, we should pray anyway. I mean, my guess is that, that some of you have been here, have been in that place where you just can't hardly pray. You want to. You sit down, you say, okay, I'm going to pray, and then nothing. Has anyone been there? I know I've been there. When that happens, what do we do? I mean, the, the, the temptation is to say, oh my gosh, I've lost my faith. What's wrong with me? Or worse, to say, oh my gosh, where has God gone? What is, what's wrong with Him? But growing in maturity leads us to this place where when we have difficulty finding words to pray, when we find the words, when it feels like they're going out and being stuck in the four walls of the room we're praying, Christian maturity teaches us to keep on, to continue praying, because what we feel is real, but it might not be true. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the measure of maturity in general. It's getting to the place where we can say, what I feel is real, but it 
may not be true. It may feel like God isn't present, but He's told me that He is, so it's not true. So I'm going to pray anyway. If I don't have words to pray, I'm going to crack my Bible open dead in the middle and I'm going to read the Psalms and claim that prayer as my own. Because these opportunities for us when we feel spiritually dry are an opportunity for us to grow in our maturity. It's an opportunity for us to move from the immature faith that has faith in the good, good, warm, fuzzy feelings about God that we get into learning how to have faith in God himself outside of our feelings. And we see Jesus doing this with the disciples. So a, a bit of a... a Bible study uh, nitty-gritty here. Um, Oftentimes in Scripture, we see something called a chiasm. C-H-I-A-S-M, chiasm. And basically what that is, is that you have a idea that is bracketed by uh, similar phrases that intentionally point our focus and our direction to the idea in the center. And in this, par- in, in this paragraph in Luke, Luke uses the example of a chiasm. So, verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. He said to his disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Then at the end, verse 46, while you're sleeping, he asked them, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. This is done on purpose. For us as a reader, when we see words... Uh, linked up like this, when we see the same phrase repeated, we need to say, ah, what is in the center? Is this done on purpose? And we know it is here because, um, because the, the structure goes both ways. So it's go into tempt- or pray that you do not fall into temptation. Jesus leaves them. Pray that you do not come, go into temptation. Jesus returns to them. So there is this intentional movement towards the point. And the point we find here in verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel appeared to him, strengthened him, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So the very structure of this paragraph leads us to this central piece that Luke wants us to pay attention to. That in the midst of anguish, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of knowing that he's about to be betrayed by Judas, later betrayed by Peter, knowing the pain that's on the horizon, Jesus prays. And he prays earnestly. And this is an example for us. When we find ourselves spiritually dry, when we find ourselves in this horrible hardship where people who we've trusted and depended on 
have let us down and betrayed us. The example of Jesus is to pray. And one of the things I appreciate about Luke and the way Luke tells this story is that Jesus prays. It says an angel from heaven came and appeared to him. And it didn't make everything better. You know, sometimes we expect that when we are going through a tough time and we pray, that immediately we'll feel better. And when we don't feel better, we say, what was wrong with our prayer? Well, look at the example of Jesus. He prays, an angel comes and strengthens him. Then the very next phrase, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly. Even an angel from heaven coming down and strengthened him did not release him from anguish. This should be really encouraging to us. Because there will be times in our lives when we pray and we don't feel better. And that's okay. It happened to Jesus. When our prayers don't make us feel better in the moment, that doesn't mean that they failed. That doesn't mean that God isn't there present with us. It doesn't mean that we are left alone. It doesn't mean that we're on our own. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to deepen our trust in God. It's an opportunity for us to grow in maturity, to grow from the immature faith that says, oh, I feel bad, I'm going to pray and feel better, to say, I'm going to pray because I trust that God is for me, whether I feel it or not. And we can only experience this kind of growth, this kind of maturity, in going through difficulty. It, it doesn't happen when we're living the dream. So when times get hard, we aren't going to like it, but if we have the courage to lean into it, we can grow into mature Christians. We can experience a greater trust in God. We pick back up in Luke chapter 22 at verse 47. And while Jesus was still speaking to the disciples, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike out with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour 
when darkness reigns. This is a a story that I've always found incredibly encouraging um, for all those times that I think I'm going to do something great for God and it blows up in my face. Um, Because, I mean, so here you have Jesus, you have uh, uh, several disciples. They are, um, Jesus has been praying all night. They've fallen asleep like a bunch of stooges. Um, The mob comes up you know, torches and pitchforks. And now they're like, oh, well, I've got a sword. I can do something good for you, Jesus. Now, I guarantee he was not aiming for that cat's ear. It just shows you he's not very good with a sword. He's probably thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really do something good for Jesus here. Ear? How do I get an ear? But Jesus says, stop. Stop. Stop over-functioning. Just stop. And then Jesus heals the man who's part of the mob there to arrest him and take him to his death. The second lesson from Jesus we can learn about how to respond to these feelings of emptiness, how we can respond to these times of extreme hardship, is to continue healing. Continue doing good. Continue to to seek ways to bless those, even those who would persecute us, even those who would hurt us, even those who we think are against us. Which is incredibly difficult. When we feel like we are being attacked, I don't think any of our first response is, how can I bless my attacker? Right? That is... is, that goes against thousands of years of human evolution that says, run from them or fight them. But Jesus says, look for ways to bless them. It reminds me of the, the story out of Atlanta from maybe a decade ago where um, there was a woman who, she had a home invasion. And you know, the guy came in, he was going to rob her and you know, hurt her, whatever. And she just started telling him the truth of the gospel. That you are not this. You are not created to rob people, to hurt them, to take their stuff, to kill them. This is not you. This is not what you were created to do. God has more for you. And end of the story, she doesn't die, right? Like, in this time when the natural response would have been to either, you know, find a shotgun and run this guy out of the house or or run away, she stood her ground and shared the truth of the gospel. She gave him the only blessing that she knew how to give. And here... 
in Luke chapter 22. The only person who is harmed by the rioting mob that comes to get Jesus, Jesus heals. A person who came with the intention of arresting Jesus, of dragging him to the Sanhedrin, of putting him to death for the claim that he is the Son of God. When his ear is cut off, Jesus heals him. I mean, this is, this is radical, folks. This is radical. I mean, how, how easy is it when someone does something that hurts us to begin hoping that they're going to get their comeuppance. So if we think we have the power to do it, to start planning how we're going to bring about their comeuppance. I mean, Hollywood has made billions and billions of dollars telling comeuppance stories. I mean, this is the primary arc of movie making in 2021. You set the character up. You tell how they are growing in their skills, who their mentor is, who their love interest is, whatever. And then the bad guy comes in and hurts the mentor or the love interest. I mean, like I've just described 90% of movies made last year, right? And then what happens? The hero gets real dark and takes out the bad guy. This is, this is what sells. This is what we have come to expect as the response to being harmed. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. But that is not the shape of the gospel. That is not how Jesus deals with hardship. That is not how Jesus deals with being betrayed. Instead, he blesses his betrayer. Instead, he stays on mission. Instead, he continues to allow the eternal kingdom of God to break through him. The example of Jesus runs upstream against the flow of our culture today. And frankly, against the flow of culture forever. We are naturally, as a result of the fall, inclined to group together in these tribes to, to figure out who we feel the most affinity for and to protect them. And if someone attacks your tribe, then by golly, we're burning down their village. 
that the example of Jesus is not retaliation, it's not revenge, it's not making sure that the other gets their comeuppance. The example of Jesus is forgiveness and kindness. It is seeking ways to bless those who would want to harm us, who would want to make our lives hard, who would want to hurt us. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priests. And Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. Um, real quick, in defense of Peter, if I were to say, Woman, you don't know what you're talking about. That would be offensive. But in the first century, this is like the equivalent of saying, no, ma'am, I really wasn't there. So don't feel really bad about Peter that he's being disrespectful and misogynistic. It's just one of the things that we, we struggle to properly translate. The form he uses here isn't belittling or misogynistic. But he is a knucklehead, so don't feel too good about him. He denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today... You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. And Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he replied, You say that I am. And then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? You have heard it from his own lips. I really appreciate that Luke, uh, that Luke keeps this story of Peter in the courtyard. Because so often, when the big ideas, when the big schemes that we have to try to do something great for God don't work out the way we hoped they would, we're left saying, how could this not have worked? Like, why didn't God bless this? What did I do wrong? What, 
what happened. And for Jesus to, uh, for Luke to keep this story is incredibly encouraging. Because Peter, who had been with Jesus from darn near the beginning, who had been present at the transfiguration, who had walked on water out to Jesus, who had seen 11 miracles up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, when the time came to stood up and be counted, he flunked the test. He denied that he knew who Jesus was. He failed. He did not live up to what we hoped he would be able to accomplish. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about the Bible is that um, the heroes mess up. The heroes fail. It's, it's, it's honest about their shortcomings. That Peter, when the going got tough, got scared and denied that he knew Jesus. And yet Jesus welcomes him back. As Jesus is being blindfolded and hit by the temple guards, instead of calling down the armies of heaven to absolutely roll these guys, he receives it. As uh, the Sanhedrin questions him, calls into question his identity as the Son of God, instead of just destroying them, he receives it. Sometimes when we are in the midst of extreme hardship, when we are in the midst of times of spiritual dryness, the best we can do is just lean into it. Not try to fight it, not try to run away from it, but sit with the uncomfortable tension of it all. Sometimes there just isn't an easy answer. Sometimes there is not an encouraging platitude. Sometimes life is just hard and painful. And instead of trying to escape the pain, we have an opportunity to grow in our maturity by sitting there with it. By acknowledging 
that that pain is okay, that we can learn from it, that it will transform us in the power of the Holy Spirit into the people who God created us to be, which doesn't make it easy. In this life, we will have to say goodbye to people who we love, and that is never easy. In this life, we will be betrayed by people who we trust. That is never easy. But if we are wise, in those moments, we learn how to trust Jesus more fully. How to move beyond the immaturity that says, when I feel good, life is good, to move to this place of maturity where life is good because God has given it to us. Whether the circumstances in the moment all line up so that we're living the dream or not. We learn how to count the blessings that we have in the midst of hardship. We learn how to see and experience and and not take for granted those slices of joy in our day. And as a result, we experience maturity. We no longer are slaves to how we feel, but we are agents who make decisions to do what we should do, regardless of how we feel. And you and I both know it's not easy. It's not easy to do what is right when we don't feel it. But that's what maturity is, folks. And we only learn how to do it by going through the fire. If today you are in a period of spiritual dryness, be encouraged, there is nothing wrong with you. This can be one of the most powerful times of your life. If this morning, when you woke up, you wanted to pray, but you just didn't have any words, be encouraged, there is nothing wrong with you. This is a chance that if you take advantage of it, it can be one of the most formative times of your spiritual life. If you are in anguish because someone who you love is hurting today, and there's that little narrative in the back of your head that says, no, 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 Christians should always be happy. Like, there's something wrong with me for not being able to to get past being sad because 
this person who I love is hurting, there's nothing wrong with you. Lean into it. Take advantage of this opportunity that God has given you to grow your soul. Because Jesus has been there too. We do not have a high priest who is incapable of feeling what we feel. He has been there. He has done that. He has given us a roadmap for growing in these times of spiritual dryness. For growing in these times when, uh, when we are in the dark night of the soul. When we, are, when we are in the midst of extreme hardship. We don't run away from it. We don't fight it. But we allow God to work in the midst of it. We continue to pray even when we don't feel it. We continue to pray even when it feels like God isn't responding. We continue to pray even when we don't have the words. We use the words of the psalmist and embrace those words as our own. We continue to look for ways to do what is right, to bless those, even those who are hurting us. And as a result, in these periods of hardship, in these periods of spiritual dryness, our soul grows. And we become the, the, the mature Christians that God has designed us to be. Let's pray. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you that even in the times that are hard, that you are with us. That even when we are watching those who we love suffer, that you are with us. That even when we pray and it feels like there is no response, that you are with us. That even when we read your words and they don't encourage us, that you are with us. Lord, that you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us, but you are present with us every moment of every day. Lord, for that we give you thanks. Lord, teach us to embrace the tough times as opportunities to grow into the people you've called us to be. We will honor and praise you for you are worthy. Amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ go before you to guide you, go behind you to forgive you, go above you to bless you, live within you so you may love one another. He lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and even forevermore. Amen.